0: Well, grace and peace to you this morning. We're so glad that you're here with us today. If you, you have a Bible, you might be opening it to the, the book of Philemon. And so we are in a series of sermons looking at little letters that we find in the New Testament. These are books or letters that often uh, get overlooked. Um, but we're going to spend a few weeks studying them and, and reading them. And so it's not often that you get to read an entire book of the Bible in a worship service, but that is uh, something important. Paul writes to Timothy and tells him not to neglect the public reading of Scripture. That's something we're to do in worship. And it's something that's been going on for 2,000 years. You can imagine 2,000 years ago, this little house church in Colossae meeting on a Sunday morning, and somebody gets up and says, hey, we got a letter from Paul this week. And someone stood before the congregation and they read this letter. And so we're going to do that in just a moment. Um, but before we do that, I got a thank you card from Levon, And she writes, thanks all of you for your calls, food, visits, words of encouragement, cards, but most of all your prayers. I'm doing well. I will go to MD Anderson for a checkup tomorrow. Again, thanks. And I love being a member of God's family. You know, Ron mentioned how it was uh, easier for him to, to sing today because LaVon was, was here. I said last Sunday after she was here, it was easier for me to preach because she was here. You know, it just uh, felt empty without her all those weeks. And we're very thankful you're, you're back with us. So let's hear God's word um, as Paul writes to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, For love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, I prepare a guest at the same time prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, I want to begin again this morning with a a quote from a commentary on Philemon. David Garland writes, Reading Philemon is like coming into the middle of a movie and having to catch up on who the characters are and what has already happened in the plot and then having to leave before the end. Uh, And I think he's right. The letter to Philemon is somewhat of a puzzle. And when we begin reading it, we immediately realize that much has happened before the writing of this letter. And it's also a letter that, that seeks a solution and we're never told what the outcome is. We don't know. And this makes it difficult interpreting Philemon, but not impossible. The important parts of the letter are clear, and it's evident why uh, God would want us to have such a document. And so let's uh, look at some facts about Philemon. Who's the author? Well, at the beginning it says Paul and Timothy, primarily Paul. Uh, Timothy may have been the scribe. Timothy may have... You know, helped him along with this, but it's, it's Paul writing to Philemon. There are 25 verses, just as there were 25 verses last week in the book of Jude. The audience here is Philemon. He's mentioned first, and so again, uh, first and, and foremost writing to Philemon, but he also includes Athea, this is Philemon's wife, Archippus, their son, and the church in Colossae. The purpose of this letter is to seek the reconciliation of Philemon and Onesimus. There's some conflict there. And some interesting facts, it's a personal letter that is meant to be read in front of others. Hmm. And we also learned that the church in Colossae meets in Philemon's home. Well when reading Philemon, the first question that may pop in our minds is this Should I be reading this letter? You know, we've all experienced moments in our lives where we've walked in on someone that's having a, a serious conversation about a sensitive issue, and they didn't know that we were there. And we recognize in those moments that we are overhearing something that others might not want us to hear. And so the polite thing to do is to leave the room or maybe to speak up so that whoever is having a conversation knows that we're in the room. And we understand this. And, and as we're reading Philemon, we may have a desire to speak up and say to Paul, wait just a minute. You know, I'm not sure I should be listening in on this conversation. It doesn't have anything to do with me. Philemon is a personal letter about a personal matter. But Paul wants the church to overhear what is going on. And this is why he addresses the letter to Philemon, but he also addresses it to the church that meets in his home. And so he invites the church to listen in. Why? Why would he do this? Well, it's because we're connected to one another. You see, the modern view of church is that we are a group of individuals and nothing more. We show up once a week, we say hello to one another, and that's it. We don't see each other again until next week. We don't think about each other again until we see them the next Sunday. But that's not the biblical understanding of church. The biblical understanding of church is that we are a family, we are a body. It's that we rejoice together we weep together, we do life together. And this is why Paul does not hesitate to allow the church to overhear this conversation because the church belongs to one another. He also allows them to hear it because they're going to be able to learn something from it. And this is why Philemon is in the New Testament. It is an inspired word from God. It is still living and active. It continues to bless the church today. And so we need to overhear this conversation, which seems personal, maybe a little foreign, because this conversation is rooted in the gospel. And Philemon is going to help us look more like Jesus. And the next thing you might notice about this letter is the lack of commands. In fact, this is directly referenced in verses 8 and 9. It's not hidden at all. Paul just puts it out there. He says, Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. He says, I could command you. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Paul says he, he could command, but he's not going to. And people often think of the Bible as just a book of rules and regulations. But that's not the case. Yes, there are commands in Scripture. There are famous commands in Scripture, things like the Ten Commandments. And we need to pay attention to the commands of God. But we must also realize the Bible is much, much more. It's the story of God. It is narrative and poetry It is filled with songs and prayers. It's also filled with passages like Philemon, which focus on our transformation. And if we think Christianity is just about following commands, then we have missed the point. And this was one of the mistakes that some of the Pharisees made. They viewed religion purely from a legal perspective. And this view says, well, as long as we follow some of these commands, then we're good. We've made it. But the Bible actually teaches that we're only made right by the blood of Christ. And we are saved by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and that's what we should put our trust in. And the goal of our salvation is to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And we see this in passages like Philippians chapter 2 and Romans 12. Romans 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says you, you, you should be transformed because you're going to come into situations and interactions with others, and you need to know what you should be, able to, what you should be doing. You know, a person can follow the commands of God and never be transformed. And this is one reason why Paul doesn't offer commands in the, letters, in the letter to Philemon. He doesn't want them to be a group of legalists who obey a few commands but rarely act in a Christ-like way. Instead, he wants them to be transformed into the image of Jesus so they act like Jesus all the time. So that they know what to do in situations that, that maybe the Bible never addresses. And so the book of Philemon is about how to think like a Christian. But before we get to that, we need to know the story behind the letter. What's going on here? What's happened? Well, these are the things that we can know. Philemon was a wealthy Christian from Colossae. The church met in his home. And it's very likely that he was one of the leaders of the church. Paul considers him to be a partner. That's what he calls him in the letter. He says he's a partner in his work of sharing the gospel. Now, at the time that this letter was written, Paul, who writes it, he was imprisoned in Ephesus, which was about 100 miles away. And the central figure in the letter is a man named Onesimus, who is a runaway slave, and he once belonged to Philemon. He runs away, and uh, somewhere along the way, he encounters Paul. And when he does, he is converted. He becomes a Christian, and now Paul is writing this letter on his behalf. Now, time does not permit us to discuss uh, the issue of slavery at length, although that would be a, a worthwhile discussion to have. However, a few things should be stated before we move on. Uh, first, slavery in ancient times was not like American slavery. The, the, they're two different things. It was not based on race, first of all. It was a part of society similar to social classes and other societies. And if Onesimus were set free, it is likely his circumstances would not change at all. It, it wouldn't better himself at all. Now, that being said, it still was not a good thing. And there were a lot of abuses. For instance, one, one of the most common is that women and children were often sexually abused by their masters. And that's documented in historical accounts. Um, the other thing we need to say is that Christianity laid the foundation for the eventual eradication of slavery in Europe, America, and other places. Now, it took too long. It shouldn't have taken that long. All Christians in America should have opposed slavery from the beginning of this nation. Some did and we're thankful for those voices. Others did not. And this is why slavery continued in our country. But that being said, without Christianity, slavery might still be alive in much of the world today. And slavery is still alive in parts of the world today. It hasn't been eradicated fully. Um, But Christianity forever altered how people view one another. And what the letter of Philemon shows us is how to respond as a Christian to imperfect situations. Because we live in a broken world. And and that's not going to be changed overnight. And sometimes we just need to do the best we can while we continue to work towards a better future. This relationship between uh, Philemon and Onesimus was fractured. Onesimus deserted Philemon. And he may have even caused some financial Damage Possibly he took something that that wasn't his. Paul mentions this in verse 18, that he's going to repay Philemon for any debt that Onesimus might have incurred. And this is a minor thing because what Paul is really interested in is the reconciliation of two brothers in Christ. And if that costs him some money... To see two brothers reconciled, then so be it. It's nothing to him. He's not going to allow money or anything else to stand in his way. And Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon with these words that are found in verses 15 through 16. He says, for this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer As a bondservant or a slave, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so Philemon is no longer to view Onesimus as he once did. He's no longer to be seen as a slave or as a bondservant. He's not just a worker. He's not to be seen as someone who wronged Philemon. Instead, he is to be seen or to be viewed as a brother in Christ. Now, this was a radical idea in the ancient world because slaves were not on the same level as their masters. But Paul says Philemon should see Onesimus as an equal. And what Paul does is he raises Onesimus' status. He tells Philemon not to look down on him. He tells him not to look at him as a lesser human being. Instead, he is to look at him from now on as a brother. The Lord's table was a great equalizer in the ancient world. In a world that that was greatly divided by different classes of people, um, the the ancient world, this idea that people were equals was was absolutely foreign. No one had thought of that at all. But Christianity introduces the idea that that all are equal around the Lord's table. And Christianity plants the, the seeds that lead to equality and freedom. And it challenged long-held perceptions and, and changed the way that people viewed one another. It changed relationships, including this one between Philemon and Onesimus. In a famous passage from Philippians 2, Paul writes, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And so as Christians, we are to think like Jesus thought. We are to see the world in a different way. We are to view others from the perspective of Christ. And this is how the world is changed. We imagine a different reality. We live as if God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. And this allows us to enter broken situations and to seek what is best. And we may not change the world overnight. But we are working towards that reality. And sometimes it may involve small steps, but we're always working towards a bigger and brighter future. Change happens on a personal level, it happens in our relationships with one another. And so we live in a culture that would like us to hate one another. I don't know if you've noticed that, but you turn on the the news, you get on social media, and and we're told to hate one another. Our culture says that, that people who disagree, that they shouldn't be friends. But the gospel tells a different story. The gospel says that we are united through the blood of Christ and that we are equals around the table of the Lord and that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter what we look like, no matter how we vote, no matter. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so becoming a Christian not only changes our relationship with God, it does that, but it changes our relationship with one another. And we're no longer acquaintances, we're no longer friends, we're no longer enemies, we're no longer whatever we considered one another before. We're now family and we now see each other differently and we relate to each other differently and this is church and as a church we take seriously the practice of forgiveness and reconciliation and, and our goal is to be perfectly united. Now, this is sometimes difficult in a fallen world. I can get up here and talk about how we're to be united all day long. But when it comes to where the rubber meets the road, it's sometimes hard, sometimes difficult, because we fall out of sorts, and we sin, and we say something that, you know, later we wish we would have never said. But when this happens, we seek reconciliation. We give each other the benefit of the doubt. We forgive one another. And then as brothers and sisters, we share a meal together around the Lord's table. And so I suggest to you that Philemon is much more than a private letter. What it is, is it is a pattern to be followed. It is an invitation to think differently and to see each other as something more than our worldly relationships. Church is the reality that matters because we are training ourselves for what is to come. And we live in expectation of what is to be. Now, we don't always get it right. We sometimes stumble along the way. We sometimes stumble more than we would like. But that's okay. Because we are held together by the blood of Christ. And we find grace and forgiveness around the table of our Lord. And we seek to imitate these blessings to the best of our ability. We have encountered the love and grace of God and we will never be the same. It has changed us. And so, may we offer hope to a lost and dying world by seeking to live in such a way that shows we have been transformed by the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful for family. We're thankful for church, which is family. The people here this morning, they are our brothers and sisters. And we acknowledge that we are united to one another through the blood of your Son, Jesus. We pray that we would regularly practice forgiveness and reconciliation. And Father, we would pray that we would do this so that the outside world could get a glimpse of what it is you want us to be and that we might be a shining light to a divided world a world that is often hostile towards one another we acknowledge that this is not your desire but that you would have us to love one another and forgive one another because this is what you did for us